Hi, Keith here with Rebel Civics. Today I'm going to talk about President Abraham Lincoln's edict called the Emancipation Proclamation. I expect some fun chat, interesting chat at least. Uh, not everybody agrees with uh, the truth behind this uh, proclamation, this edict. Um, I'm going to base this on an article I wrote. So uh, last week it was published on Unsafe Space. Perhaps you've seen it. Uh, it's called The Myth of Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation. Tagline here, be skeptical when a politician attempts to claim a moral high ground, which is what Lincoln's proclamation is being used for today and what he used, for, used it for for political reasons at the time he issued it. The Emancipation Proclamation was originally issued uh, in September of that year, and it came uh, into effect on January 1st. And the reason is, is he was trying to encourage states to rejoin the Union and they could keep slavery. So that's kind of in a nutshell what it's about. The myth of Lincoln includes a large amount of, of what they tell us in government schools and what is promoted widely by both the left and the right about what Lincoln was about. Um, it's almost all wrong. Uh, the winners write the history books, as they say. So uh, I'm going to go through the article here. Um, January 1st of this year, 2023, that marked the 160th anniversary of, of President Lincoln's uh, Emancipation Proclamation. It took effect on January 1st, 1863. So was widely claimed to, quote, free all slaves, but that's by those promoting the Lincoln myth because his proclamation did not free nearly a million slaves. It's the slaves that were in the United States. So Lincoln did not free any slaves in the United States. He actually didn't free any slaves with the proclamation. Nothing happened that day. Um, the proclamation, Lincoln's proclamation, specifically exempted from freedom every slave in every place he had legal authority in. And I'm talking about these United States. He did not have any authority in the Confederate States of America, which is where the proclamation uh, was, was about. Um, as I said, remember the winners write the history books. Uh, this is from an uh, article I had written. Uh, maybe I'll go back over that a little later. But I want to continue on here. The Lincoln myth includes the myth that his proclamation lawfully ordered states, state slaves to be set free. Any American history textbook used in a government school, you can find more on the Lincoln myths, the various Lincoln myths. Or go to American history class. Um, they'll tell you parts of the, this myth of Lincoln. The claim is misrepresented that, that the proclamation freed the slaves. And the reason is because they skip Lincoln's exemption of many of the slaves in 1863. Ignoring the exemption is helpful for those willingly promoting the Lincoln myth. What they're using is the manipulative trick of omission. So they're leaving out what the proclamation actually says. It's also promoted, and this may be the bigger group that promotes it, by many people out of lack of knowledge of history, lack of knowledge of Lincoln, and they don't actually read and understand what is in the Emancipation Proclamation itself. Lincoln gets this you know, huge statue in D.C., him sitting up on his uh, high, high seat, uh, in the Lincoln Memorial, um, he's idolized as, as if he was a god. And uh, 
regular viewers of Rebel Civics will know uh, that I consider Lincoln the the worst president in U.S. history. Um, no one has come close to Lincoln on my two criteria for the worst president, <clears throat> which is number one, how many Americans did his actions get killed? Uh, Lincoln was almost a million people. Uh, more people died in Lincoln's war than all the other wars. Um, and number two, how much did the president unconstitutionally expand the power of the general government, Washington, D.C.? Lincoln is number one on that one also. A lot of what came after that was based on Lincoln's lead. So, you know, a lot of people talk about the 14th Amendment as kind of the end of constitutional uh, governments, the end of the Republican form of government in the United States. You can look at it that way. That can be argued. That's not what I'm doing today, Sean. I want to focus on something specific, the Emancipation Proclamation. The problem with arguing the Lincoln myth, explaining the Lincoln myth, is there's so much behind it that I found that I, I want to do it this way, which is pick out individual things and concentrate on them. So I'm going to concentrate on the Emancipation Proclamation. I want you to understand why the common narrative of this is completely false. Uh, it's the opposite of the truth. Then um, uh, maybe be ready for some more of the Lincoln myths for the people that are not familiar with him. Anyway, he's the worst president um, by my criteria, which is deaths and expanding the power unlawfully of Washington, D.C. Uh, second and third are Woodrow Wilson and FDR. And I'm kind of going back and forth between the two about which one was was worse. Um, uh, somebody in chat said, as a UK citizen, I am pretty uninformed about this. Did Lincoln own slaves himself? Uh, Lincoln, I don't know. Lincoln didn't have a farm. He was a lawyer from Illinois. Uh, Illinois was not a slave state as far as I know when Lincoln lived there. So I don't think Lincoln owned slaves, but there were slaves in Washington, D.C. There were slaves in the White House. Uh, Lincoln's proclamation did not free the slaves that worked in the White House for example, because that was inside the United States. The proclamation was not didn't apply to the United States. But the answer to the question is, I've never heard that Lincoln actually owned slaves, and I wouldn't have expected him to um, because he's a lawyer in Illinois. Uh, he wasn't a farmer. Um, and he didn't live in the southern uh, slave states or in Maryland, which was a slave state. Delaware was a slave state. Uh, Virginia, northern Virginia is where a lot of uh, government people worked lived uh, and still do richest counties in the u.s are the five that's surrounding there so there's a lot of northern virginians that, um, that live there thomas jefferson for example um who, who had slaves anyway thanks for the question uh somebody contrary and barbarian good comment he wanted to send slaves back to africa that is true lincoln's lincoln um his whole campaign speeches, um, stuff that he had written before becoming president, the first year or two that he was president. Uh, he said many times that he did not believe that the black race and the white race could live together because the black race was not uh, not qualified, not at the level of the white race. And the two races were not compatible. They couldn't live together. And his what he had said was that they should be sent back to Africa. The problem is that a lot of the slaves, as a practical matter, um, by that point, a lot of the people were second, third, who knows, fifth generation black people that were slaves. They never been to Africa. They probably, they don't even know where their family came from. No one what country they came from. Um, 
essentially they're Americans at that point. They've been here for generations. So the sending them back to Africa uh, plan could is, is just even sillier than anything else he did. Um, so that never took effect, but it's true. Lincoln did talk about that. So the exemptions, I'm going to go through the proclamation, but it's misrepresented. And the, the claim is that it freed all the slaves. Um, anyway, the myth, the, the point is making about a lot of the people that promote the myth, they're doing it out of lack of knowledge. Um, I would call it ignorant, not as ignorant as a person, but they just don't understand. Uh, they don't know what was actually going on in history at the time. They don't understand what the Republican Party was up to. Uh, they don't understand the secession of the South. Um, they don't understand why this, why the war for Southern independence was started and why it was fought uh, by both sides, neither of which was about slavery. And they don't understand Lincoln. There's so many myths behind this. So we're just going to concentrate on the Emancipation Proclamation one today. So his edict contains the text that we hear in the government schools and we regularly see online. All persons held as slaves, something in between, shall be then thenceforward and forever free. What is usually skipped is the part between held all slaves and thenceforward. I'm going to go to this, uh, open in a new tab here. Let me go to this window. Uh, here's the transcription of the proclamation. So I'm going to check, make sure you guys can see this. Um, here's the actual text. So we'll put these website uh, links in the uh, show notes on unsafe space. Um, the uh, It took effect. Uh, he started on the 22nd day of September. Um, that's when it was actually issued, but it took effect on January 1st. So on the first day of January, 1863, all persons held as slaves within any state or designated part of a state, the people whereof shall then be in rebellion against the United States, shall then thenceforward and forever free, shall be then thenceforward and forever free. So the part in between is the interesting part. Um, what this proclamation applied to is the state's what he calls in rebellion. He's referring to the states and the areas, including counties down to the county level that were quote in rebellion, which is what he was using that as the term that the, the places that had left the union and joined the Confederate States of America, CSA. So these were areas at the county level and the state level, which were no longer part of the United States uh, I'm going to talk about it separately in detail, but they were not in rebellion of the United States. It's not treason to leave the Union. Treason is making war against the states, which is what Lincoln did. Lincoln was the one who actually was committing treason during this period, 1861, 2-3. Um, the states left the Union, and they were not part of the United States. Virginia, down to South Carolina, um, they all formed a new country called the CSA. Uh, they were an independent sovereign union of sovereign states. Um, they were not part of the United States. So what Lincoln said here in the proclamation is that within any state, they did it down to the county level and the city did it down to the city level or designated part of a state um, is what it means there. The people shall be in rebellion against the United States shall be free. So this did not include Washington, D.C. It did not include Maryland, which was a slave state. It did not include 
Delaware, which was a slave state. Um, did not include any of the territories that were not part of the CSA that were in the United States as territories that were that had slaves. It didn't include any slaves that were in the United States, which is where Lincoln had some authority in as president. So um, I'm not going to read the rest of this. I'm back to the article. So that's what it actually says. Um, you got to read the part in between to understand what the proclamation was about. So again, just to make this point really clear, Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation was not about any slaves in the United States. And there's about a million of them um, at the time. So he didn't attempt to free, he didn't even try or want to free any of the slaves in the United States. And Lincoln said many times um, he would free all the slaves or free no slaves. Uh, he, he, that wasn't his point. His point was to keep the union together. <clears throat> so as I said in the article, Lincoln's use of the word all was not about all slaves. It wasn't actually about any slaves in any area Lincoln's order had legal force in. The approximation exempted about half a million slaves in the slave states that did not secede from the United States. That's Missouri, Kentucky, Maryland, and Delaware. So there were four states that did not leave the Union, uh, Missouri, Kentucky, Maryland, and Delaware, that were slave states, and they had slaves. The total there was half a million. It exempted the slaves in Washington, D.C., and all the Western territories. Um, it ended up exempting uh, West Virginia because West Virginia uh, seceded from the state of Virginia. If you want to look at it that way, that's not what they did. Uh, I talked about that on another show uh, recently, but West Virginia split off from Virginia and became a new state in the United States. Now, that's unconstitutional, topic for another time, but um, any slaves who were in West Virginia were exempted. Uh, it wasn't a big slave state because it was a mountainous, wasn't a huge farm state. Um, and also the, the territories. <clears throat> it also exempted every slave in every part of the Confederate States of America that the United States Army had forcefully taken control of. So anywhere in the U.S. Army had attacked and occupied in a southern state, any part, a city, a county, any area, they were all exempted too. So once the Army... Uh, in between September and the January 1st issue of this, uh, places that the army had taken control of in between there, they were also exempted. So if you lost the battle in your city and the U.S. Army was occupying your southern city, then you could keep your slaves. Um, it also exempted much of Tennessee. At that time, Tennessee was mostly taken over had already been taken over. This is a couple years into the war, about three years into the war. So Tennessee had been pretty much overthrown by that point. There's also was large parts of Tennessee that never wanted to leave because, and they weren't slave areas and they didn't want to secede. Um, a lot, the uh, Eastern part of Tennessee, that's real mountainous. Um, it's not a big farming area. Uh, they didn't want to leave. So a lot of those areas of Tennessee, the Union Army marched in and just said, this is now, we are controlling this. And the people said, okay. <clears throat> so those areas are exempted. Also exempted the cities of Norfolk, Portsmouth, Virginia, <clears throat> excuse me, and the Virginia counties of Berkeley, Accomack, Northampton, Elizabeth City, York, Princess Anne, and Norfolk. Those are all counties along the northern uh, part of Virginia, mostly northern and eastern areas. Um, these counties were exempted from the proclamation also for the same reason. Um, the uh, 
Mm-hmm. In chat says, looks like a contrarian barbarian comment. <laughs> you read out is censored in the chat as I cannot see it. Uh, I didn't see that. So um, missed that one. Anyway, the proclamation didn't include slaves that the attacking using forces within the sar- Southern territory seized and put the work at slaves. Uh, there's an article here on that. Again, I'll, I'll put these links in the show notes. Uh, on unsafespace.com. They'll be available within a few days. So the Union forces, uh, when they took over areas within the South, they did seize some of the slaves and put them to work. Uh, They're exempted from the proclamation because they're in areas that are no longer, quote, in rebellion. So the Union Army was allowed to enslave people that they captured. Um, They were not exempted. They were exempted from the... uh, from the proclamation. So it was originally issued in September um, to exempt slaves that would choose to rejoin the United States before January 1st, 1863. So in September of 1862 is when the order was issued. As I showed here, it was the 22nd day of September in 1862. Uh, That's when the order was issued, but it didn't take effect until January 1863, January 1st. So to keep slavery legal and okay with President Lincoln by his proclamation, all that was necessary for state to do was to leave the CSA and rejoin the Union. They could keep their slaves. Um, I'll note that Lincoln was in favor of the Corbin Amendment, which was an amendment to permanently declare slavery legal in every state in the United States and to ban states from making slavery illegal. Uh, Lincoln was in favor of that. That was before the southern states seceded. They were talking about doing that as a solution to the to the disgruntled South, part of the disgruntled South. The problem is that it didn't do anything about the economics problem, which is why, which was a major part or the primary reason for every state seceding and and joining the CSA. It was primarily an economics war. And I'll get into that on another show. Um, the proclamation itself was issued in September. It was a it was a tag. It was a offer. Uh, it was a political stunt. I called it to try to get states to leave the CSA and rejoin the union. Now, part of this and going far from there, he also claimed that they never left the union. So it's um he he called it in in rebellion. So there's a lot of word shenanigans going on here. Uh, he claimed they didn't leave the union. He also claimed that they did leave the union when it was expedient. Um, for example, when West Virginia became part of the United States, uh, that's unconstitutionally, uh, it's not constitutional the way that was done. Uh, Lincoln condoned that. What West Virginia did is secede from the state of Virginia without the the permission of the legislature of the state, which is required by the Constitution. So that was, in a, that was a secession. Lincoln was in favor of secession if it suited his agenda. So he was 100% for secession of West Virginia. He was against secession of Virginia because he couldn't get any tax money from it. Again, we'll get into that on another show. So as I said, uh, September 22nd, 1862 is when the proclamation was issued, was made, but hadn't taken effect. He did it just after the Battle of Antietam when 23,000 men fell in a single day. That was a horrible, horrible, huge battle um, between the North and the South. He was going to issue this in July. So he actually wrote the proclamation. He came up with the idea. He first brought it up with his um, with his guys, his advisors in July. 
the Secretary of State at the time got Lincoln to hold off issuing it. Uh, he was concerned it would look like an act of desperation. That's a quote. Uh, this is from an article where they uh, get into this part. So when he brought this up with his uh, disciples, whatever you want to call his guys, Secretary of State objected. It's going to look like an act of desperation. It actually was an act of desperation. And the war was not going all that great at the time. So they held off. The battle in September 22nd uh, was a few days before that. Um, that battle was was a big turnaround for the North. Um, a lot of uh, Southern soldiers were killed. Um, so they took advantage of that victory in the deaths. Uh, and that's when he issued it at a time when uh, the South was a bit on the run, starting to look like the South might lose. So take effect on the 1st of January, as I said. So the key purpose of the September announcement for the January 1 start date and the exemption of so many slaves is incentive to the Southern states to rejoin the United States. By doing so, Southern states could keep slavery legal by taking advantage of Lincoln's exemption. The four-month delay in taking effect was incentive also to areas not yet taken over by the Union Army to give up easily or not fight at all. Um, and some areas did that, though, apparently not because of this, best I can tell. Uh, they gave up easily or didn't fight at all because they never wanted parts that never wanted to leave the Union in the first place. Um, it wasn't a majority, it wasn't a universal vote throughout all the Southern states to leave the United States. So the delay also encouraged another large block of counties of a Southern state to secede by splitting their state in two and forming a new state and become a new member of the United States. As I talked about, that's what West Virginia did. So again, Lincoln was 100% in support of secession, but only when it furthered his agenda. So all a Southern state needed to do in the fall of 1862 to keep slaves and avoid the massive death and widespread destruction at the hands of Lincoln and his army was to rejoin the United States, take advantage of his offer. Um, it's a nice uh, Southern, Southern picture. Uh, I think that might be Robert E. Lee, um, General Lee. I'm not sure though, but I think that's what that painting is. Um, yeah, another question here. I'm going to read the question. Did they not expect some rebellion from the unfreed, exempted slaves in the USA North when they saw the Southern slaves being given their theoretical freedom? That was part of Lincoln's goal was to inspire a slave uh, uprising in the South, not in the North. Um, but I don't know of much rebellion in the North because the slaves were freed. At the time, a lot of people recognized this for the political stunt it was. So perhaps that's related, but no, I don't know of any widespread rebellion in the North and there was no widespread rebellion in the South, which was one of Lincoln's motives. So he was, uh, from his writings and what he has said, uh, he was disappointed that none of that happened. Um, it's also an interesting story on January 1st of 1863, when he, when it took effect, <coughs> Lincoln um, had waited for the customary visitors. So on that day is a customary uh, day for state representatives to visit the president and tell him, uh, tell him some things he wanted to do the next year. And Lincoln uh, waited and he was apparently from the stories, of course, who knows, 1863, he was quite disappointed. No representative from a single Southern state or a single area uh, showed up to tell them that 
they wanted to rejoin the United States, either to secede from their state they were in, like West Virginia, or for the whole state to rejoin. Uh, so he, he issued a four-month offer, not a single state and not a single area of a state took advantage of that offer by uh, showing up and telling Lincoln. So Lincoln went upstairs and he signed the order and made it took effect. Um, this is uh, a quote from Lincoln. He had vowed uh, to ensure the Southern states were part of the Union, quote, by freeing all the slaves or without freeing any slaves, any slave. By freeing all the slaves or without freeing any slave. That's a quote from Lincoln. Um, he His goal was to keep the Union together. Slavery was not his issue. Uh, that's the myth I'm going over that this whole Emancipation Proclamation was anything other than a political stunt. So none of the states took advantage over the four-month delay of Lincoln's offer, like I said. Um, he waited then and issued, issued the announcement that the edict had formally taken effect. So the, the January 1st, 1863 deadline, I'm going to call it a deadline, that's what we typically hear uh, attributed to Lincoln's proclamation. But nothing happened on that day other than Lincoln signed the order after nobody took advantage. So the proclamation, you know, as announced on September 22nd in 1862, uh, it was a failure. It was proven to be a failure because nothing happened. Uh, no slaves were freed. No states said they would rejoin the Union. Uh, no areas offered to rejoin or form another state as West Virginia did. It was a failure. That's why I call it a failure. So here's a good question. If slavery was the reason Virginia has seceded and joined the CSA, the problem could have resolved in one day by the Virginia legislature without any bloodshed, as far as Lincoln was concerned. Uh, if Virginia chose to go back to paying taxes to Washington, D.C., then the Virginians could keep all their slaves. That's all they had to do. So the question would be, for people who are still arguing that Virginia seceded to keep slaves, uh, they have to answer that question. Because um, Virginia could have kept the slaves. This is a loose translation. This is from me. That's why I doesn't have quote marks. But this is my loose translation of Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation. You can keep all your slaves. No worries. Just let the federal government have control of your money and your land. Basically what Lincoln said. Uh, the U.S. government has a uh, featured documentation page on the proclamation. I'm going to show that. Um, this is an interesting... Um, article that uh, is actually from the government itself. Um, they say in this article uh, that it wasn't, um, didn't free the slaves. Like the U.S. government surprisingly in here omits uh, more openly than I expected when I found this. Um, they also get into that the proclamation announced the acceptance of black men into the Union Army and Navy. Um, that was part of a trick they had done, uh, or an offer, you call it an offer. So they did start at this time, three years into the war, Lincoln condoned black soldiers fighting for the North. Now, why he waited three years to do that, I don't know. Um, but at the by the end of the war, uh, this at least says 200,000 black soldiers and sailors had fought for the Union. Now, of course, they put in freedom in there. Uh, no, that's not true. But they did fight for the Union. They weren't fighting for freedom. They did 
a lot of them did get their freedom because they made um, they made offers to to some slaves to, to free them, and that was done in the South too. Uh, slaves that wished to fight for the South, uh, some of them were offered uh, their freedom uh, for doing that for joining. Um, so uh, this is an interesting article. Again, I'll put the link for that one in, in too. Um, and it's part of what's interesting is how openly a U.S. government web page admits some of the uh, some of the what happened for. Her. So here's one quote: um, "It did not end slavery in the nation." This is the uh, proclamation. This is the government's report from the uh, featured documents page. It captured the hearts and imagination of millions of Americans and fundamentally transformed the character of the war. Um, as I said earlier, what I wrote is uh, setting aside the emotionally laden and impossible to verify capture of the hearts and imagination of millions. The factual part here is a transformation of the character of the war. That's true. The proclamation did transform the character of the war or the character of the war was being transformed and the proclamation was part of that transformation. It's a reasonable mark of the war propaganda shift by Lincoln and the federal government. This is three years into the war when the purpose of the war was transformed for political reasons into an effort to, quote, free the slaves. Um, so there was a there was a major transformation in the war propaganda. And the Emancipation Proclamation is a good place to mark that, January 1st, 1863. Um, after that period, the war propaganda coming from the government and the people arguing in favor of the war is that the war was about freeing the slaves. And we live in that propaganda today. That was never changed. So the U.S. government still promotes that same propaganda. So the same uh, government featured documents webpage notes the proclamation, quote, added moral force to the Union cause and strengthened the Union both military and politically, end quote. Uh, added moral force to the Union cause? Yep. Uh, the statement recognizes the addition of a so-called moral force to a Union cause. Uh, that's a quote from the government. Uh, it added a moral force three years into the war, as if the war was moral by making it by changing the nature of the war to claim that it was about slavery. So this was in the third year of the ongoing war for Southern independence. Uh, that's the name I use for what you hear in the history books in the North, at least the civil war. Um, I don't call it a civil war because it wasn't a civil war. That's not what civil war is. Civil war is two factions, two or more factions fighting over control of the, the central government. Uh, that's not what that war was. The South never tried to invade Washington, D.C. and uh, overthrow the government and install their own government. Um, that's what a civil war is. So that war was not a civil war. Uh, I like the name War for Southern Independence. It it is It was the war for Southern Independence. The uh, constitution of the CSA is very similar to the one from the U.S. Um, with a couple exceptions in it, they uh, did a better job on uh, limiting ta how tariffs, what kind of taxes and tariffs the federal government could do. Uh, there's several other improvements that they made um, in the uh, CSA Constitution, but it's a lot like the U.S. one. Uh, the Declaration when they went independent is basically a lot of it sounds a lot sounds like the Declaration of Independence. Um, you read the uh, Articles of Secession from from most states, you see a lot of familiar wording in it. Both basically, it's 
uh, people have the right to form their own government. If the government becomes tyrannical or despotic and it is not maintaining their life, liberty, and happiness, then the people have the right to form a new government, uh, alter and abolish it is the wording used by Thomas Jefferson in Declaration of Independence. People have the right to alter or abolish it. Uh, that's the point of the Declaration of Independence. So the secession documents of the Southern states that left uh, have a lot of wording just like that. So the War for Southern Independence is a term I use. Another one you hear occasionally is the War of Northern Aggression. Uh, I have no people that went to uh, high school in the South and that was what their history books called it. People my age, but uh, I don't think they do that anymore. The propaganda has been uh, worked through the government schools. But yeah, some people called it the War of Northern Aggression um, since they started and fought a war that the South was defending themselves from. South was entirely defensive. Um, the proclamation also likely strengthened the, quote, Union cause militarily, as the, as the uh, government website claims because it announced the acceptance of black men into the Union Army and Navy. Um, that probably helped. So as I said, the total um, came up to 200,000 by the end. Uh, as said here, I will set aside for now consideration on why Lincoln was three years into the invasion war before he formally allowed black men to participate as free men fighting with the Union forces. See, the Emancipation Proclamation should be recognized for what it is, what it was. It's a political stunt with an offer to any Southern state to keep all their slaves and simultaneously avoid massive death and widespread destruction at the hands of Lincoln's army. Paying taxes to Washington, D.C. would have solved their problem if slavery was their problem. It was an offer that no Southern state took advantage of. That wasn't their point. It's another piece of evidence that shows that slavery was not what this war was about. My final advice on this topic, be skeptical when a politician attempts to claim a moral high ground. History shows it is likely a trick shrouded in a lie. Watchful revealed political stunts. Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation stunt was no exception. I'm going to check out chat here before I close out. Um, they're talking about uh, the movie from Antitam, uh, movie Glory about Antitam. Seems like they twisted history a lot to fit the narrative they wanted to tell. Yep, I agree. Um, so uh, anyway, thanks for joining Rebel Civics. I'm going to do a, uh, a series here on, on Lincoln. I'm going to go through over the next year. I'm going to go through some of the myths of, of Lincoln, the, the, the Lincoln myth his noble presidency and, and what he did and get into some of the, uh, the Southern, Southern States. Uh, if you want to, um, uh, if you're interested in secession, uh, on Sunday, there was a book club episode for unsafe space. We did the book by Tom Woods, national divorce. I'll just show the book. Um, great book and it's thin. It's available for free in an ebook form. Um, and the paperback is about 10 bucks on Amazon. Uh, anyway, if you want to hear a discussion of that, I was the host. I did an overview of it. Um, that's another Lincoln myth topic is that, of course, states can leave the union by their own volition. Like states voluntarily join the union. The states formed the union. Uh, remember that the federal government 
is not a party to the contract of the U.S. Constitution. That's a con that's a contract between the U.S. states that form the federal government. It would be impossible for the federal government to be a legal party to that contract because it was created by it. It didn't exist. It didn't ratify it. Uh, this is the reason why in the Constitution, Congress can propose an amendment, like they can discuss an amendment and propose one, but they can't change the Constitution. Only the states can change the Constitution. So when Congress proposes an amendment, it just goes out to the states for a yes or no. Uh, Congress doesn't get to say yes or no on an amendment. Um, the states, if they wanted, they could get together a meeting and shut down the federal government entirely and try again or not bother, just stay 50 independent, sovereign, separate countries. Um, that is within the legal authority of a state to do. So that's another Lincoln myth topic. Um, I'll, uh, I'll enjoy doing a show on that one, just why secession is legal and why Lincoln was a tyrannical, unconstitutional, treasonous president. Um, so yeah, that'll be fun. Crystal G, thanks. Uh, Crystal says that will be interesting. Um, and maybe you're talking about the book too. Declaration of Independence allows you to abolish withdrawal from your own government, then why was this not challenged as a legal war? Uh, this was a question in chat. It was challenged. Uh, the case is called Texas v. White. Went to the Supreme Court. That's the the uh, the final. It was done initially about Texas finances. Uh, that is often trouted out to say that secession was illegal, which isn't really what it says. But the majority opinion in Texas v. White, it ended up claiming that the states never left the union, that Texas basically was about Texas, but it, it was expanded to apply to all, this, all the Southern states. So the answer is it was challenged in court. Problem is it was challenged shortly after the war ended in the courts of the victors, the uh, United States. At the time, the South, the CSA had been overthrown was annexed back into the United States. Congress declared all the states in the South no longer states. Um, they were occupied military areas um, that were being annexed into the South, into the United States. And the states each individually had to agree to a bunch of provisions of the, um, of the, of the changes to be admitted back in as a state. So, yep, yeah, it's Texas v. White. That would be a good one to include in the show notes too, is a Supreme Court case. And um, keep in mind with that, besides the fact that they're answering a question immediately after the war of the victors in the victors' courts about whether the secession was legal, the majority opinion was written by a Lincoln appointee to the Supreme Court who was a big government North power guy, Republican. Uh, so, he agreed with the president that appointed him. Um, he, they had to say that at the end of the war, if the Supreme court had issued some other opinion, uh, who knows what would happen. That's how the Supreme court operates. Remember it's, it's a group of nine black robed politically connected lawyers. Uh, and their number one job is to be a shill for the, the federal government. Um, and if they can use the wording of the Constitution, they'll twist it and turn it or ignore it or misrepresent what it says, uh, whatever comes in handy. Uh, not to say they do it all the time. Um, occasionally, the Supreme Court does do a uh, legitimate, you know, issue a legitimate opinion 
um, that is based on the Constitution. Like, for example, the recent Roe v. Wade got overturned. Uh, that was legitimate because uh, abortion is a matter for the individual states. The federal government has no jurisdiction. So that 50-year-old opinion issued by a Republican court, by the way, um, that the Constitution enshrines the right to an abortion, that's bogus. Uh, they were just acting as political activists, uh, pretending to be legislators. So uh, I'm, I've gotten off topic a little bit from the question, but the Supreme Court does sometimes follow the Constitution. Uh, but more often than not, it's the dissenting opinions that are interesting to read uh, because they're the correct one. Uh, they're the one that has an originalist view of the Constitution, as in the founders, what they said and wrote means what they said and wrote. Basically, I put it that way. Um, so yeah, Roe v. Wade was overturned, but the Texas v. White, uh, that's a bogus, that's a bogus use. The, the primary use you see for that case today is the concept that Congress can vote a state out um, because that was part of the Texas v. White majority opinion from the court uh, because they were saying that it is, a, it is constitutional for a state, for the Congress to declare a state no longer a state against their will. Um, it's also, it's not constitutional to leave the United States. The Southern states never left. That's part of that opinion. Um, it's never been overturned. It's bogus. So anyway, one of the uses you do see today, anybody that watched book club on Sunday, um, there's an argument for California, this uh, one of the CalExit versions, the CalExit 2.0 is one of the names for it, but it's the version of California secession that's um, run by uh, guest on, he was on book club, uh, Luis, Marcus Luis Evans. That CalExit 2.0, I'll call it, is the entire state of California forms a new union, a new country, uh, secedes. And one of the methods they talk about doing is that they push Congress to just vote them out. Um, they're basing that on the Texas v. White uh, decision. As a practical matter, maybe it could happen, but I don't think that's possible myself. This is my opinion now, uh, because it re would require the Republican Party to like stand up and actually have balls to do something like that. And I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think the mainstream Republican Party in Washington, D.C. is going to vote to remove California from the union. Uh, first off, there's a huge military presence in California. Um, the amount of land area in California that is declared owned by the federal government is huge. It's it's roughly half or 40 percent, something like that. Don't quote me on the number. Uh, it's a huge amount of land that the federal government claims is theirs. That's not constitutional either. Um, and the negotiations, if they did kick California out and how they keep all the military bases, San Diego's huge port, you know, air base, Navy base, a lot, a lot of people in the U S military there. So I don't see that Texas V white method of secession for California as being a practical question because it relies on the Republican party. Um, it ain't going to happen. California wants to secede. They got to do it the old-fashioned way. You have a citizens' referendum, same way you you can join the union and vote to leave. Simple. Um, and then so go back and watch that book club later. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a, it was a good one. It was really fun. We had uh, several guests there um, besides uh, Marcus, who's the head president of CalExit, CalExit 2.0. 
Uh, we had uh, uh, a new contact of mine, J.G. Grand is his name. He's part of the secession movement in Brazil, which I didn't even know about. He talked about that a little bit. Uh, he's an American citizen, uh, and he's an uh, English teacher. Uh, he lives, has a kid, uh, got married in Brazil. He lives in southern Brazil, um, and he teaches English, speaks Portuguese, of course. Uh, and I didn't even know about it, but there's a secession movement for three of the states uh, in that part of Brazil, which is a long way from the, the other part. Uh, they want to leave because Brazil is becoming too leftist socialist. Um, interesting. Didn't know about that. Uh, the other guest we had was Stephen Axelman. He's the founder and president of Americans United for Peaceful Separation. That's a group that coordinates all the different secession movements. Um, he's also on the foundation for uh, New Hampshire independence. And he's a um, uh, co-president, I forget the title, VP, might be VP of CalExit too, the one about California leaving. And what he'll say, it's fun to listen to him and Marcus get into it, the CalExit president. Um, and Stephen is a, a New Hampshire independence guy, which is completely the opposite of the California uh, what, what, what they call it, the uh, California values, you know, basically they're going to form the liberal leftist socialist paradise. Um, and that's fine. I'm not arguing against it. I think uh, peaceful separation is the way to end these problems. Uh, I don't see that we have a President Lincoln today in Joe Biden. I didn't think that about Trump. Uh, I didn't think that about Obama. When we get into question of California votes to leave and leaves, uh, will Joe Biden send the Air Force to bomb and completely destroy Sacramento? I don't think so. Um, I've been saying in discussions on secession about Florida, my state, uh, if Florida does leave the union again, would Obama have bombed Tallahassee? I don't think so. Uh, would Trump have bombed Tallahassee? I doubt it. By the way, Trump's a Florida citizen, so I don't know what he thinks about secession, but he's a Florida guy. Um, he lives about an hour south of me. Uh, the, the concept of what Lincoln did in, in the 1860s, which is completely destroy, uh, and overthrow the governments of states as seceding. I don't think that would happen today. Uh, there's a lot of problems with it. Um, a good reference for that, for people that are interested in the details, I'll throw this out, uh, text it by Daniel Miller. Um, he gets into, there's a chapter in here, a couple chapters probably on, what would happen with the military? One of the points that Daniel Miller makes about secession today versus, you know, say 18, 1862, three, one, um, the U S military, uh, a, a, a wide survey of that, of the U S military said that almost half of the people in the U S military believe states have the authority to leave the union. They have the lawful authority to leave. So there's a problem. Um, to get uh, U.S. military personnel to kill people in Texas for what they voted for, like a vote to leave the union, to peacefully separate, uh, that's, a, that's quite a task. A lot of military people would say, no, I am not doing that. Um, I did 30 years of uh, electronic design work and integration work for Navy, Air Force, Coast Guard. Uh, I know a lot of military people from the inside. I've spent a week at sea on active duty ships, that sort of thing. Um, it's a hard sell. It would be a hard sell to get, say, an Aegis cruiser to launch missiles 
at Tallahassee, you know, or, or, you know, Dallas and Houston, Austin. Like, I don't think that's going to happen. Another thing that Daniel Miller brings up is that the number of Texans in the U.S. military is really high. Uh, Texans are those kind of people. So a lot of younger people in Texas grow up. Um, they join at a higher percentage. Also, Texas is the second biggest state in the union. It's got a population of 30 million. So the number of U.S. military people in a uh, number of Texans in the U.S. military in all the branches is really high. And Daniel Miller's point that he's made about Texas seceding, and the same would apply to California, I think, but Texas in particular, if most of the Texans in the U.S. military refuse to attack Texas, which is likely, most people would say that's likely, um, you're going to get a Texan patriot, you call it, somebody who grew up in Texas, is a Texas citizen, joined the U.S. military to protect America, freedom, whatever reason people do. Um, and these are Texans, right? Uh, you're going to get one of them to bomb Austin or Houston? Like, nah, that ain't happened. So the point Daniel Miller has made about this is that if most of the Texans, probably nearly all, refused to fight against Texas, maybe left the military and just went back to Texas, like Robert E. Lee did from left West Point and went back to Virginia um, when the South seceded. If a large number of Texans did that, and you'd expect, and Daniel's talked to people and done surveys, it's likely uh, the U.S. military would be in a pickle. Um, there's too many. There's too many. So. Uh, yeah, as Nim says, economic war. There could be an economic war that also would be hard for Texas. Uh, we hard with California. Uh, California is net positive right now towards the federal government. Uh, so is Texas uh, with large numbers. The war could hurt the U.S. federal government more than it could hurt Texas. Um, Texas has its own energy grid. Uh, Texas has large a large land uh, area for trading with another country, with Mexico, with huge amount of traffic back and forth every day right now, that would not stop. Um, it's borders uh, several U.S. states, lots of land border. Um, you'd expect trading back and forth there. And it has a massive port infrastructure and long sea border. And there's tons of shipping in and out of the United States that go through the Gulf of Mexico to Texas ports. So cutting off Texas would be pretty difficult. Um, another problem that would happen with Texas is that the uh, the trade with the rest of the world from Texas is high. Like Texas's GDP would put it in the top ten or twelve of the world. Like it would be, it would have a GDP bigger than almost all the countries in the world um, if it became its own sovereign state. Went back to being the Republic of Texas, which is what it was before. Uh, so economically, uh, as a um, uh, long-winded answer to this question, economic or statement, economic war only, uh, that's also a hard sell um, with Texas, with a state as big as Texas, because um, like what I said about how big their economy is, and uh, a second problem overall is that the last, uh, I don't know, say the last hundred years, the United States has fought enormous amount of wars um, sending our fathers, our grandfathers, uh, 
our sons at this point to fight battles for people who are declaring their independence. Uh, Eastern Bloc countries, uh, World War II, Vietnam, Korea, um, some of the Middle East wars, like a lot of these were argued to be about people declaring themselves free of a tyrannical government and desiring to form their own government. So for the U.S. government to claim Texas can't do that, but all the countries in Europe can, for example, Ukraine uh, can declare themselves independent. Um, and then, but then say Texas can't, that's a hard sell. So I think Texas declaring the world, any U.S. state declaring to the world why they're leaving was something akin to the Declaration of Independence, lists the grievances, um, and then establish free trade with the rest of the world. I don't think that would go well for the U.S. government. Uh, one more question, then I want to close out. We're almost at the one hour point. Um, didn't the CSA count on trade also, and that did not go well? Um, as far as how it went, the North did try to stop it with blockade runners because they did blockade the South, but there was quite a bit of trade from the South. First off, the Mexican border was there. Um, there also was a large uh, East Coast and Gulf Coast seaports where trade continued. Um, I'll throw out one little factoid on this that uh, they don't tell us in our government schools, but you know, Bermuda was remained neutral during the war for Southern independence. And what happened was the uh, blockade runners, a lot of it went through Bermuda. So all the ships carrying goods from Europe, uh, England primarily, but other places in Europe uh, that would go to Bermuda, Bermuda was, was part of the UK, right? um, that the bigger, slower cross-ocean ships that were going to the uh, ports in the um, southern part of the U.S. for picking up tobacco, cotton, other other southern products, uh, and bringing goods from England, trading back and forth. Uh, all they did is they switched to bringing them to Bermuda. So the cross-ocean bigger ships, the big, huge ships that they used, huge by their standards, 1861, uh, they would sail to Bermuda, and Bermuda pretty much ended its entire farming, fishing industry, like everybody in Bermuda became working in the shipping industry uh, during the war. And they built these super fast, they called them blockade runners. A lot of them were built in Bermuda, some of them were built in Southern ports, but, but the Bermudians, Bermudians uh, started a uh, huge trade business. It was the economic boom in Bermuda. And those ships were faster generally than the northern blockade ships. They were the big lumbering military ships. So uh, that's how trade continued. So to answer that question, um, trade continued. Trade continued. And uh, Bermuda was key to that as the, the changeover point for the blockade runners. Another question I thought us Brits found another source of cotton when there were shortages from the CSA and grew an Indian cotton industry as an alternative. Uh, that's a question for the Brits. I don't know that um, there was an Indian cotton industry, um, but the cotton industry in the South did not shut down uh, by any means uh, during the war. Now, when the war, as the war concluded, because of Lincoln's army destroying the farms, uh, a lot of the farms were shut down for a while. It took a while to get the industry back up, but that was because of the war, uh, not because of trade. Um, and trade was hampered by the blockade, but it didn't end. Uh, John Arnold says Mexico was embroiled in the French intervention at the time, and there was very little trade that came through the CSA. Oh, I didn't know that. That's interesting. Um, 
Somebody said trade was strangled. Uh, I don't know. There's a good museum if you want to research that a little more. Uh, go to Bermuda. Um, there's a great museum on on how that um, that went. Um, it it totally turned around the the, uh, the whole industry of Bermuda. Uh, everybody worked on blockade running. All right. Um, I'm going to close this out. So uh, thanks for watching Rebel Civics. I'll post the link to the article here um, in the uh, in the notes on the show show topic. Um, and uh, yeah, just uh, the uh, I just wanted to mention this. Carter generated this uh, this image. We we're talking about what to use for for an image. Um, it's a nice job. So I just want to do a shout out to Carter for coming up with this computer enhanced generated image of a evil, angry Lincoln. Uh, I don't know how he did that, um, but that's great. I, I love that picture. It, it like says it perfectly. So anyway, um, thanks for watching uh, Rebel Civics and I'll talk to you next week. This production was made possible through the generous support of our members. To join our community, visit unsafespace.com. Unsafe Space is an online publication for individualists interested in subverting authoritarianism and ushering in the next enlightenment. For biting analysis and nourishing composition, or to sign up for our weekly news brief, The Abstract, visit unsafespace.com. Thanks for joining us today. Warning, this is an unsafe space. Dangerous ideas have been detected. The content of this production has not been authorized for distribution on Apple devices. The following co-conspirators are hereby uninvited to Klaus Schwab's winter solstice party. Please be advised that CBS News has paused activity on unsafe space while it continues to assess security. Central Bank Digital Currency is a safe and secure way to protect you from Sam Bankman Freed. If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't think about it, I mean, that's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. Science, scientific, and scientifically are registered trademarks of the World Economic Forum. Unauthorized use is prohibited. Computer voice Curtis, never mind, that last line is misinformation. Please disregard it and return to your safe space immediately. There will be cake.